0: Hi you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country and I'm Nikki Stott Earlier this year, to celebrate NAIDOC Week, the Indigenous Peoples' Organisation Australia, in collaboration with Better Futures Australia, hosted a webinar series called Heal Country, Heal Climate. Today on the show, we'll hear part two of a three-part episode called Pursuing Global Justice. This episode is chaired by Gairi and Bachelor woman, Kathy Etock, from the Indigenous Peoples' Organisation of Australia. And the speakers are Radri and Yamba woman, Dr Virginia Marshall, Kabikami and Goreng Goreng Man, Pastor Ray Minicon, and Wati Man, Kato Muir.
1: It's time for Indigenous people, internationally as well as locally, to remember, remember our wealth, remember the wealth in First Nations, and I don't have the time to go into it now, but uh, if you look at wealth itself, there's uh, various aspects of wealth, whether it's the institutions, the laws, the economic system, the people, there are forms of capital that are deployed that then generate the wealth of a nation. So, the wealth of our nation as Indigenous peoples, we have land we have people we have culture we have relationships and we have a system of laws that sustain these relationships and promote and celebrate that now one of our issues is that we get too caught up playing the game of responding to the um, agenda of the colonizers and we don't invest enough time and energy in building our own infrastructure educating ourselves about our opportunities and reflecting on the true value that we bring to the table. So in answer to this uh, question posed about resourcing Indigenous peoples worldwide, the old model of uh, extractive, exploitative uh, economic um, activity is coming to an end. And what we're getting now is development or the emergence of green capital, the emergence of a uh, carbon-based mechanisms and the emergence of responsible investors. People, ordinary people are becoming aware that we have superannuation funds. Our money is being invested on our behalf by unknown third parties and into companies that are doing bad. And the emergence of responsible investors, and you see this again with Rio Tinto and the push by responsible investors to actually decimate the executive management and the board of the company and hold them to account and hold them responsible to say, no more uh, are you to do these kinds of activities. Although, you know, you've got to keep a watching brief on that because I think there might be... Uh, Slipping through and trying to get around that. But there is an emergence of this responsible investor uh, mindset that is then going to companies and saying, okay, you guys, if we're putting our money with you, we want to make sure that you are doing the right thing. And that presents an amazing opportunity for Indigenous peoples. And this is the stuff that, uh, you know, we can't go into detail tonight, but I would suggest that. There is an opportunity for us, especially in the carbon trading market. Uh, We're going to cop very soon. Uh, We're going to find that all the nation states are way behind on the targets. What we have built up as Indigenous peoples over the past 50-odd years, a little bit more, we've restituted a lot of land. And while native title lands, uh, other lands like that in Australia, but also across the other parts of the world, Our lands are economically marginal in the traditional economy, but in the future economy, our lands are the places where the wealth will be realised. And so it's up to us as uh, Indigenous peoples to really get a handle, educate ourselves on wealth, on capital, the transfer of wealth, and also what do we need to do to build the infrastructure, to support and sustain economic development on our own terms within models that we ground into our culture and also that um, support and enhance our systems of looking after each other, of looking engaging with the environment and basically realising that we do have wealth in our first nations there are systems i could you know talk about you'd go from realizing what your assets are you raise your capital you engage in an activity that then delivers the the returns whether it's economic social and all of those so that there, there are a whole series of um scoping opportunities out there uh, i suppose in this presentation i just wanted to remind people of how we got to be where we are through this uh, imperialist uh, model but also that our inherent culture our soft infrastructure within indigenous peoples which are that give you an example of that what I mean by soft infrastructure is the kinship system so when we dialed into the call with uh, Uncle Ray and others we were engaging in this process of where you're from who's your mob who's your who you're related to all of that that is actually a very 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 high level business interaction that uh businessmen out there would die to have that kind of network we have it as part of a you know an inherent value that we have what we have to be able to do is to apply that in its original form, what it was designed to do, because one of the things around Australia you see is we have these trade networks that extend from one end of the country to the other. And we were trading both physical resources but also intellectual capital. That is our game. That's where Indigenous people come into their own, is in intellectual capital, which is dressed up under our culture. And so we have a lot to contribute in this new Carbon reduction based economy that addresses uh, issues in climate change, uh, but caring for our country. And that's the value that we can bring to the table. Which there are, there's a capital market out there that's looking to invest. And all we need to do is engage with that market through the framework of a responsible approach that then delivers uh, results on the ground so in closing on that i'll just uh, get everyone a um uh, you know highlight that there's a lot of aboriginal ranger groups out there and these ranger groups are engaged in managing country for bushfire protection etc but it's also about managing carbon and the storage of carbon on our lands so it's happening it's emerging but it's time that uh, both at an international level but also domestically we should be engaging in these conversations and with a view to how it actually addresses here in Australia 200 plus years of uh, disadvantage and uh, marginalization uh how can we make up for time lost so that's all I'll say for now thank you Bye-bye.
2: Thanks, Cato. Um, A good summary of the capitalist feeding frenzy and um, pointing out the alternatives of green capital and green economy, so um, thanks for that. It's critical that Indigenous Peoples have a strong voice in these climate negotiations. Indigenous Peoples, as we've mentioned, are disproportionately impacted Mm -hmm. by climate change. Um, rising temperatures and rising sea levels however as we've heard indigenous voices around land and water management have been suppressed and decision-making over traditional territories have been sidelined indigenous peoples within australia and globally continue to be dispossessed as governments privilege mining and extractive industries at the expense of first nations peoples However, indigenous peoples, as Cato's pointed out, can also play a key role in mitigating climate change. The role of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as custodians of country and waterways can be drawn on, on both caring for country, not only in reestablishing sustainable land management practices, but also in sharing their ancient knowledge with the broader community to improve their processes and their practices. Aboriginal people can also participate in climate mitigation strategies, reforesting, contributing to national policy approaches and developing alternative economic development models and supporting renewable energy. In all global climate change uh, negotiations, indigenous peoples need to be included to give full participation into a rights-based decision-making around climate change and mitigation strategies.
0: Mm.
2: The Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in, from 2007 and the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples in 2014 both confirm that free, prior and informed consent is a fundamental principle and is embedded in Indigenous rights to self-determination and entitles Indigenous people to determine the outcome of decision-making that impacts us so the development of these priorities will feed into the global deliberations and will also be used to promote indigenous informed mitigation and adaptation strategies within australia
0: you're listening to earth matters on the community radio network
2: Now, we'll just move to some questions that have come in. So, uh, the first one I have here is, what strategies or actions by First Nations activists are most effective in challenging this entrenched neoliberal system? And the second part of that, and how best can allies support dismantling this system altogether? Do do each of you want to make a comment on that? Yeah, I I just wanted
3: to actually go back to what um, Cato and link that up, you know, with the green economy, we also see, you know, those issues Cato with um, the commodification of water in 2004, you know, it it just completely separated land from the water. And and we know that um, uh, no one wanted to give us any uh, opportunity, not even to manage, no access to water, and certainly um, no commercial rights to water, economic rights to water. So this whole idea with a green economy, um, there are uh, uh, problems for us, aren't there? You know, when we look at that, that sort of example and um, the pushback is that um, this is the way things have been done now for 150 years, um, the way that the water's been managed. We've got a whole range of stakeholders and, and some empathy there too from um, some farmers and some parcelists. Uh, but, you know, finding that way where we can actually be more than just royalty takers, and I know that in Western Australia, you have that, uh, reg- uh royalties for regions, and there's been problems for that over the years, but, you know, how can we actually be involved when the gates are shut in that green economy, and especially with water? I think that's one of the issues that's really, you know, burning um, to be answered.
1: Mm. The, um The interesting thing with uh, the carbon economy right now is that it's totally in the infancy. There's great confusion in Australia uh, between the state governments who are claiming ownership of carbon. Exclusive possession, native title holders own carbon as well. And so what is imperative, what really needs to happen is... We need to mobilise to actually realise the, the value of that of that asset. That's the thing. Otherwise, what's going to happen is that the old way of doing things—they'll just continue to do business as usual and marginalise us from that space. And the fact is, I sit here as a younger Aboriginal person, despite the highlights I have in my beard, um, <laughs> as a younger Aboriginal person who inherited a. Opportunity and a position from the elders who have gone before, and this is the thing that uh, we have as a competitive advantage: is that we have an intergenerational cause that we continue to push. Whether it goes back, you know, we're celebrating NADOC Week. NADOC Week goes back to activists in the 1930s who were basically campaigning for the realization of our rights. So. The great opportunity that I have is somewhere along the line, one of our elders argued that we should, or well not one, but an, our elders argued that we should have equal access to education. So we're able to sit around now and take advantage of that uh, opportunity to take our cause to the next level. So that's the, um, I think there's a uh, Maori author called Linda Smith. I to I. Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose yeah. argument is about, you know, the, the, our project, uh, looking at it from the perspective of the project. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially where we are. We're just um, current uh, custodians of this uh, campaign in the time that we're here, but uh, that will be carried on and passed on to the next generation of baton holders as long as we maintain that cultural integrity and that. Uh, you know, what we bring to the table, respect for elders, respect for country, spirit, all those sort of things, and maintaining our culture. We're on a journey uh, that I think ultimately we will win.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Cato. Virginia, have you got something to add, and Ray, on on that question, on that first question? What are the strategies and actions by First Nation activists in Mm -hmm. challenging this entrenched neoliberal system, and how can allies best support dismantling the system? Well, I think I'll
3: just have a, a quick response to that: is that I think we've been doing very well with COVID. You know, it's given us an opportunity in some ways, you know, when our communities are safe and protected and locked down, and, and that's what they've just did self-determined, and, and it's very wise. But I think it's also given us an opportunity last year to think carefully about what's important. And I think when you can see young children decide that climate change instead of schoolwork for that day is more important, um, those are really uh, you know, um, significant moments because it really uh, is what uh, much of um, Aboriginal Australia knows, You know, Torres Strait Islander people know, is that you know protests are also so important to our democracy, and, and that's significant. You know, you know that, Kathy, too. You know, from your experiences. But you know, it's it's just part and parcel of having an opportunity to be heard. George Floyd um, and, and those examples. We know that we've got um, deaths in custody, custody, and they're you know, just at unacceptable rates. But you know, protesting is really important even in this age of COVID, and we can be on the webinar and, and have our voices heard. So I think that, you know, dismantling um, takes small steps and I don't believe it's incremental, but I think that you can get large wins by that um, progression and, and staying the course. I think that's really important. And like Cato said, staying true to why you actually started it in the first place and to listen to the wise voices of elders and cultural bosses um, I think that's the most important thing. If we can take that in our hearts and our minds, I don't think that we can make a wrong step. But we all also need Indigenous allies across the world as well as non-Indigenous allies. And I think that's really important. You can see, um, you know, even music makes us, um, you know, feel invincible. And, you know, we, we need all of that back, don't we? We need all of that um, supporting us and filling our hearts and our minds to, to really make us strong every day
2: for the battle. Mm-hmm. Ray, have you got something you'd like to add to that? I've got lots. Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> of course you might. <laughs> Where do you start? Brother, thanks again, that was too deadly and really stirs me up again, you know. <laughs> I think there's this, this a couple of major goals that we as indigenous peoples need to take into consideration it's reflected in the statement from the heart but it's got to go on from that. You know, we can talk about truth, treaty and uh, uh, voice. but the main goal really is that we're going to take control of our country and that means that we've got to start talking about our own constitution. And we've got to talk about becoming a republic because it's you know in my mind anyways and you know i sat at the feet of a lot of a lot of old people in this country and it seems to come out of the the same if i could put it in a simple way the question is you know how can a dysfunctional family in a foreign country own my land it's just unthinkable you can't comprehend that. I can't. Still to this day, that we live in on crown land by a family who don't even have a relationship with us, who live in a foreign country and are dysfunctional. How can that be? And if we can come to a conclusion about that or come to understand that we've got to do something about it, We've got to say to this family hey get out of my country <laughs> you don't own it this is our country i'm trying to put it down to its basic form and then we've got to start looking at the kind of uh, articles in a constitution that we think is going to sustain our future otherwise we're going to be talking about these issues and passing it on to our great-great-grandchildren to talk about these issues and un- unless we start looking at how we resolve the issue of governance of our own lands again and yes before we were all in our own different groups we all had these uh, trade routes we knew each other um and as we heard the other night there you know some of those uh, uh brothers on the thing there they could talk you know 10 languages of our own people. I mean, that's that's something to actually celebrate and actually understand that those kinds of things happened in our country here and that we have a right to bring that back. It's our right. And so I think this whole notion of uh, we call it self-determination uh, or we use another stronger language of sovereignty, we need to exercise that either whether you want to call it self-determination or so i i, I don't care the, the problem i have here and i think tell a problem we all have is that we're speaking to each other even in a foreign language and that's the foreign language of that dysfunctional family
2: mm-hmm.
4: and that's what we've got to come to grips with we've got to answer that question ourselves And then we've got to respond to it in a way in which it gives our next generation some hope we can talk about these issues and we can pass it on to the next generation but help us help me this poor old black fella here understand how we're going to form our own governance structure our own republic if you want to call it that or some other form of governance Mm. that's my response
1: Simple yeah. as that
2: is. Thanks, Ray. No, that, that was that was very pertinent, and I'd I'd just like to um, back up your assertions that Aboriginal um, or First Nations activists actually need to demand Aboriginal sovereignty and and decision making, and we'd call on allies to um, support a treaty. Can facilitate the structural change uh, necessary to establish uh, real self-determination for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, and facilitate uh, a process of justice and and truth-telling um, that would be the basis of, of that treaty. Decision-making is the fundamental basis that this all comes down to. So. Um, i agree a hundred percent that a treaty needs to be organized and that that be based on the recognition of aboriginal sovereignty which has never been ceded and continues jointly with state sovereignty colonial sovereignty
4: that's the fundamental thing that we already recognize it Mm. that we already have it we've it's unceded territories mm. <laughs> it's like me trying to go into my brother's country here and saying well brother see you later i'm now putting up my little house here and i've just put my land rights claim in mm.
0: it's
4: mm. just unthinkable
1: the opportunity is with australia becoming a republic at some stage mm. that transition will occur mm. we need to be organized and ready to negotiate settlements with between the first nations and the settler states. And so this discussion about treaty, this discussion about changing the constitution, you know, going into a preamble in the constitution is meaningless when the opportunity we could be looking at doing is actually rewriting the entire constitution. And in doing that, we reflect the relationships between uh, the First Nations and the settler state that then is built around, you know, the wholesome values and principles and uh, not the extraction and exploitation.
0: You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And today on the show, we had part two of a three-part episode called Pursuing Global Justice, and it's from the NADOC 2021 series, Heal Country, Heal Climate. This webinar series is hosted by the Indigenous Peoples Organisation Australia at indigenouspeoplesorg.com.au and Better Futures Australia at betterfutures.org.au. And if you missed part of today's show or you want to check out part one of this episode, Pursuing Global Justice, you can find the podcast and all the details of the speakers at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service... We would love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam. And we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. That's all for this week, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. (laughs) Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch.